You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas, of stories and really nerdy guys. Live from the Twilight Zone, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hello, Nick. Hi, Tim. How are you this fine evening? I'm doing fine. How are you? Um, okay. I'm hoping we survive whatever goes on. I know here. things are a little less colorful here. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm like everything seems normal. Like everyone's, you know, just kind of like they seem like normal people. But I just have this feeling that something. I know, like something could go slightly askew. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to buy anything from anyone or. I mean, it really all depends on like you know what time of year this is. <laughs> February. I don't. I don't know. If that's a no. safe time. Or don't it, don't it, get any love potions or anything. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, it, we'll just be. We'll be careful. Yeah, I think. I think it'd be best to just stay out of most people's way, and hope that like there's not a nuclear bomb or something. Well, welcome, folks, to your premier podcast on storytelling, derailed trains of thoughts. My name is Timothy Deal. I am Nick Hayden. And uh, we are welcome you here to this land of um, oddities. Oddities. Sometimes it looks like the 1950s. Sometimes it looks like the 1980s. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It might be even more updated at some point here. Soon. Yeah, almost know. like we're in the future or something. Slightly. Yeah. So how's the play going? It's coming along. Um, by the time this episode comes out, we may have done our first weekend. Nice. Um, so hopefully everything went well. <laughs> well, you're not still in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yes. And in case people are wondering, I no, I have not finished Kingdom Hearts three yet. So we're, this episode, you won't get my big uh, report. No, about if it. he wasn't a major character in the play, he probably would have. Yes. Oh, <laughs> almost certainly, I would have by this point. Really, I've only got one more Disney World, and then so okay on the where, where they have the trophies listed. <laughs> yeah, they list like you get a trophy each time you complete a Disney World. Yeah. Well, there's like three hidden trophies in between the last Disney World and completing the end of the game. Oh. So it may not be like, but I was like, I wonder if those are story-related worlds. Yeah. So I have a lot of theorizing going on here. Nice. Has the plot been as twisted as it needs to be? Somewhat, but like, well, I mean, they've actually done a pretty good job of connecting the Disney worlds to the ongoing story in some ways, but you know... Most of the big stuff is not actually going to happen until we get into to the, the end, and then the it'll be all game. the yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely That's some... pretty normal for Japanese plots too. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some things that are like, oh, they're exploring this, and oh, that's. But I, I, I couldn't tell you if you weren't a Kingdom Hearts fan. I don't know how much any of that would mean to you. When we yeah. when you do your big rant in an episode or two, we'll have to link them to our your previous. Talks. Talks. Yeah, because yeah. I think I previously reviewed Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance. Yeah. I didn't talk about Recoded for obvious reasons for anyone who's played that game. <laughs> there just wasn't enough there yeah. to, to cover. But anyway. Anyway. So, um, but we should get moving and we shall go into our story school. For Story School today, it is actually a little surprising this did not get on our topic list earlier. Yes, actually, considering you, my style, yeah. <laughs> this is not actually about weird, freaky stories today, despite our intro. This is about monologues, which certain TV shows will begin with a very interesting monologue. Yes. Especially if you're in an anthology, it's a nice storytelling way of device. But there's there's a lot of different ways you can use monologues. Nick is is very I fond enjoy of, monologues very much. Fond of doing a certain kind. So let's uh, let's just start there, since you know we put this on partly because I like monologues. Mm -hmm. So why I like monologues? Yes. What's what does a monologue add to a story? I think the monologue is a great way of capturing encapsulating a moment of drama or a character very distinctly you know it's like suddenly it's like and here's the moment or here's the the thing that is motivating this character you know it's, it, it's an it's a crystallizing moment in many ways and it 
pulls out things that, I mean, you could show, but it's very different when someone just says, and it's used like this in lots of movies and books anyways, where we'll be at the end of some sort of emotional arc and then boom, let me talk. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of things spill out. And and it's a very good way of getting emotions out and putting them in very, and words, monologues, when they're good, tend to be very powerful because they capture a lot of what's been underneath the surface. Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, the ones you're talking about definitely is, is a good case of, if, especially if you're a, ca- a character who's been bottling things up mm-hmm. inside and then they all kind of spill out, whether it's like an angry rant or an emotional one or some other sort. And I think it must also, I mean, it is very, well, at least mine are very character-driven. And I think that comes from, I mean, monologues are probably most popular first in plays. Yeah. Which is a good way of just kind of, it's a drama without character. I mean, without multiple characters. It's a very self-contained sort of thing. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's usually a time when a character gets to talk about ideas and the big thematic picture, mm-hmm. and not even sometimes. I mean, and we'll get to different types of monologue. Right now, we're mainly covering the like character why I wanted to do it philosophical yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, your favorite kind, basically. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's about it's a time when the author gets to really explore with the big picture ideas and put for you know, for a moment, and usually it includes some aspects of the plot, mm-hmm. um, some aspects of what's going on in the story. But to a degree, it's also kind of setting those things aside so you can explore the underlying reasons behind what's been happening. So a character focused monologue, which is what we've been talking about, and we'll we'll make up our own definition of things. Like you said, is largely like. Capture the character, capture the motives, the thematic motivation of so-and-so. Yeah. And this happens a lot in, well, it's my stuff, but also in, um, on a hijack, Balan 5. There are multiple people who just, have, you know, Jakaro monologue. Or uh, Delin's speech to the, when she breaks the Great, great Council. Yep. And she's been trying to get people to listen to her and finally she's like basically had enough and just tells them the way it is and why you messed up and... And yeah, it's very satisfying for all this. Like, it's a culmination of the political movements that has been that have been going on for her. That leads me to another sort of monologue, which is sort of the the rousing speech. Ah, the, yes. The Independence Day, <laughs> <laughs> the Bravehearts, yeah. the battle cry, Aragorn, which is also kind of like capturing the thematic moment, but in a different, a single person gathering all the people behind them. You know. Yeah, and kind of what Delenn does in that in that scene too. In that's true. Time. I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between like a very it's a very public speech yeah. and then like a more of a private speech or revelation yeah. or something. I mean, sometimes I'm, if if a monologue is a private thing, it's usually to like a close relative of, of sorts. Yeah, like a, a a confidant of some sort. Like my biggest monologue in the play I'm in for an ideal husband, and I'm the husband. Basically, my biggest monologue is me talking basically spilling out some thoughts that my wife has probably never heard my character say before. But it's been kind of built up to this emotional point that okay. the dams break loose. Yeah. So, and not swearing there, but that's, you know, you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to bring up one more private one because yeah. I don't know if we'd get to it otherwise. But I was very fond of in the book of Strange New Things. Okay, yeah. It's not the main character who gets on this one of these unpacking rants but like some other side character Mm -hmm. and because your main character would never probably do that he's just so reserved but it's just so satisfying as a reader to have this other person like kind of vents about all these (laughs) pent up things that this entire book you've gone through this is like in the toward the very end of the book and this entire book you're like there's something weird going on i can't quite put my finger on it and this this one character like spills it all out and you're like yes Thank you for saying this. I didn't know what what was bothering me so much, but you you described it so well. I forgot that scene, but the, yeah, you're right. It's a big book with a lot of stuff, but it's very remem- memorable. This like he's kind of insane too yeah. at that point. Probably he's just like <laughs> like yes, because so many other characters have this very monotone or like sparse speech. Mm-hmm. Even their dialogue doesn't get out all the stuff that you feel is under the surface, but you don't know what exactly. And then yeah, it, it's very satisfying. But the the public speech, the battle cry, all that stuff, that rouses a different kind of emotion. Yeah, like our Independence Day, after yeah. we've be- basically been being beaten down the entire movie. Yeah. It's our time to to rally the troops and kick back. And 
when I, when I was preparing for this, I was like, oh, I'm looking at monologues and stuff, and it occurred to me the the from Gladiator, his he's standing there and he says, I am Maximus. Look, I don't, I can't say it, <laughs> but it's really not very long. But in my mind, it was like a monologue, mm. but it's like it's like a sentence, and it's just delivering that sort of rousing state. So my question for you, Tim, is how long does something have to be to be a monologue? Is it more the state of it, or is it the length of it, or some like you just know it when you hear it sort of thing? I'm guessing that opinions on this probably vary depending yeah. on which circles you're in. I, th- I would make the case that if it, if it's given enough weight, a monologue could be just yeah, like you said, just a few sentences. Because um, it's still it's still the encapsulation of it's an encapsulation of ideas. It's or a even moment. A moment. Well, let me ask you this: If it's not the two kinds of things we've talked about so far, what yeah. if what if we're talking about exposition? Like, the, say, the beginning of the Twilight Zone. Or actually, you know, just you Battle 5 again, the beginning, you know, it was the year of... Yes, you know, the, so the, so. The, the, the intros they do for each episode, well, see, I think, season. I think technically it would be a monologue. I, f- I think of it differently because it's exposition, and in my, he- in my head I'm always more tilted towards the, the emotional thematic stuff just because of how I use it. But, but I don't think it's wrong to call exposition, especially when it's delivered in a... One person talking for a long time. Yeah, in a way that is is meant to kind of... You're still filtering it through a point of view. Mm. It's not just facts. Right. And I think mo- one thing monologues do is filter whatever you're talking about through a point of view. Otherwise, it's just... It's just info dump. It's just info dump. That's fair. I mean, and that's... And I think you can talk about two different kinds of exposition monologues either, or also. You have, like, the storyteller-narrator monologue. Yeah, which I think would be more... Like, the storyteller, Mm -hmm. for instance. From the Jim Henson series. Jim Henson thing. I mean, he monologues quite a bit. Because that's... I mean, he tells a story. Right. I mean, that's what it is. And it's a nice way... It's a nice bridge sometimes for scenes that they can summarize in very interesting... I mean, they're utilizing the oral tradition yeah. of storytelling there, obviously, but it also helps them kind of go more quickly through scenes that they don't need to dwell particularly in a very on. colorful way. In a very colorful way, I mean, it's you're cutting back to the storyteller sitting by the fire and kind of telling this part of the story rather than just showing. And sometimes, like I said, it it simplifies. Things. But then I guess the other side would be the sort of like planning meeting. Yeah. You know, like, hey, here's their ships and here's, you know, there's this exhaust port here and Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And I don't know, I mean, it is a monologue, but I guess I tend to think of it differently. Yeah. When it's just, yeah, just the the bare bare bones. Yeah, that's that's a little different. I think there's kind of, you can be one that's sort of in between the character reveal and the exposition where if you have a character tells their backstory. Okay. Some Mm -hmm. way. Um Backstories are very good for for monologuing because yeah you might be you might ask a question you're answering it but you're also just seeing stuff that you're not seeing right I mean <laughs> and I mean that and that could be very interesting the the way a character tells a story like if you just stay and you're not seeing like a flashback to how it actually happened yeah. but you actually get to hear the character tell his own story that can that can really paint an interesting picture I'm tr- I was trying to remember if Lost ever does this, but I feel like you mostly see flashbacks. Uh, I remember reading one time that, um, what's his name, Dog in f- the temple? He okay. talked about his son, and they said, well, sometimes you do a flashback, but if you don't have time, you just say it. Okay, okay. So I don't know how much of a monologue it was, but it was that sort of character reveal, backstory thing. Right, right. Now, what do you think, technically, again, this is more technical, sometimes yeah, I was looking up things I thought were monologues. I think they were technically are, but there will be interruptions, like little, like, responses, yeses or noes and stuff. I had not seen Matrix Reloaded for 10 million years. But, you Major, know, the, ar- the Matrix Reloaded? Yeah. Okay. But, like, the architect. I always just envision mm-hmm. as a monologue, the way people talk about it, because uh. of the info dump. But there is a sort of back and forth, but it's very much basically the Qu- architect with... Just kind of quick asides quick aside, or you know, questions. Quick questions and- or whatever. Okay. I- I, I guess you would call it, I mean, to me, it's not a pure monologue in a sort of Englishy sense. But I guess practically, it really is. Yeah. I, I feel like I probably wouldn't use that scene for like an audition or a drama oh, class. Oh, no. I mean, that's an info dump. From right. Me. But if there was something like that where there was a character that intercut something, you could pretty easily take out the other character and just kind of fuse yeah. that into the monologue somehow. So, yeah, I, I can totally see just because someone interrupts or. There's other things going on. I, I I would still say those are you know smaller monologues, but 
definitions that are kind of flexible. Maybe we usually, when we're talking about a subject, we tend to cover the broad range. Oh of yeah, things, yeah, so. certainly. We're not. We don't do the. Um, and then you have you know your sort of Shakespearean monologue, ah, which yes. is like definitely philosophizing, philosophizing, and you know very. And you're not talking to anyone. Yes, that's just an aside to the audience. Yeah, which theater is probably the one place where you can really get away with that. Well, although I guess in a book it would not necessarily be a monologue; it would just be a character's train of thought. Or you know, if you have a fir- like a first-person book, I don't know kind of the whole thing in monologue, but I would guess parts of a first-person book would feel monologue-ish. You know, you're not just retelling a story that suddenly you transition into. Mm-hmm. You know, thoughtfulness and stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It feels different to me. Movies, though, will do monologues by, like, the diary or the okay. captain's log. Yeah, that's fair. Or the, you know, the, to the counselor. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the not the counselor doesn't work, but to talk to nobody. Yeah. Just talking no, to yourself. I know, I know what you meant. Yeah, like <laughs> Iron Man 3, uh, Tony Stark just talking to... "Quote unquote doctor." Yeah, <laughs> throughout the whole thing, and it feels kind of mon- monologueish. Yeah, similar, but yeah, I don't know. It feels different to me in the book because I feel like, I mean, you do have dialogue and monologues in books where usually where a character is talking to another person yeah. for an extended period of time. But yeah, if if it was, I don't know. Maybe just the difference there is it just being spoken. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're. Semantics. It doesn't matter. So here's a question, Tim. Most people know monologues. A lot of people can come up with their favorite ones. What are the downsides of a monologue? Well, uh, one thing is worth pointing out, uh, the villain monologue, which has kind of become a cliche in some ways. Which, you know, Incredibles did. Yeah, got me monologuing. (laughs) Well, here's the interesting thing about that, and I might put a link, if I can find it, a link in the show notes to a video essay on YouTube where someone talked about monologuing and in Incredibles and how they pointed out that actually the villain monologues in, Incred- in the Incredibles are actually pretty well done as much as they make fun of it. Yeah. Like Syndrome's talking about his motivations is actually pretty well, well one motivated for in, within the story. He wants to tell his, his, is that like I have a trap that I'm, you know? Yeah. Well, and he wants to tell his childhood hero that mm-hmm. he's disavowed why he's doing. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, here you have this very prideful, um, showboating kind of old fanboy. Yeah. You know, spited fanboy. It makes sense why he'd want to talk about it, but then also realize and and what he talks about is pretty important to the theme. Yeah. The whole, you know, if. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll give this out so that when everyone's special, then no one will be all yeah. that kind of stuff. And you know, that's it's a really interesting idea. And if you didn't have the villain monologues, which theoretically are a bad thing, yeah, The Incredibles as a movie would be weaker for it. Yeah, so it's an interesting paradox. Like the the evil monologue is not necessarily horrible; it's just been done badly so often. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we we've seen the the. The cheesy way where if, like yeah. the villain has the hero all tied up and ah Perry the platypus let me explain my <laughs> evil detail with a long backstory <laughs> then exactly we can, we can make fun of that kind yes. of stuff <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful <laughs> so that that's one potential downside yeah the other, I guess the other thing is if you have an entire book where characters just monologue pr- pretty much yeah. the entire time and nothing ever like happens. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would write such a thing. Yeah, I don't know. That that sounds horrible. <laughs> I would never read or write such a thing. <laughs> if you don't know, um, Remnant Dream, my second Strand Fred novel, is very monologue heavy. And I love it. But it is a, it is a weird beast and not everyone's cup of tea and maybe not even good, but I like it. I realized after my, my more most recent read of it that it is meant to be taken, well, it, it can only be taken as a different sort of beast. It's not a mass market sort of story. No. But I'd be be really curious, someone who is a much more literary reader than I am, because I have, do not read that much super literary stuff, mm-hmm. what they would think of it, whether they would think you were aimless and pretentious, or if you thought, well, he, I see this is a certain style. You yeah. obviously very intentionally... Wanted to have each character, like every single character, explore the meaning of, but why? Isn't but that why? What, isn't that what, how you sub- basically? That's the book, yeah. But, but why? But why? What does this mean? What is what is suffering for? <laughs> I mean, it was my second book. First time I was wrestling with this, but anyways, that's not. I won't monologue about it. So <laughs> you try to let it speak for itself. Try to right? let it speak for itself, for better or worse. It <laughs> is what it is, and I I enjoy it. So. 
Um, so that's another potential downside. And, and do, and do you think monologues in general are out of fashion in in more modern stuff? At least ones that are, are actually lengthy. Yeah, the actual lengthy ones, it does take a certain amount of... Um, you have to go for a certain amount of depth in your work mm-hmm. to, to do it. And even, I guess you should say, even the more artsy movies that are going for that probably these days try to be a lot more sparse, mm-hmm. not less Sparse theatrical. is kind of the, is the in thing. And there's a lot, there's a lot of benefit to sparseness. Mm-hmm. And that's like the interesting, like I got to keep bringing Balan 5 just because he's, he loves just characters talking. Yeah. Which is very different than modern TV. Not that they don't talk, but they don't talk in the way they talk in Babylon 5. Sure. They talk very colloquial, normal. <laughs> um, and not in this sort of elevated, you know, I'm going to, it sounds like someone wrote a good speech for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, and it doesn't sound, I don't know, it doesn't sound forced usually. No, it's more, pl- it's really more play oriented. Yeah. Than most TV than most is TV now. is, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to do it that way. One interesting thing about doing An Ideal Husband, which is written by Oscar Wilde, and one thing we found in the process is that, at least in this play, if Oscar Wilde felt like something was worth saying, he'd say it like three times, (laughs) sometimes ridiculously ornately. So we've actually, in order to keep it sounding a little more grounded, we've actually cut, you know, trimmed a lot of the lines Mm -hmm. to, to cut out some of the redundancies. And I think it will still sound very period, and I think yeah. the language is still pretty good, but it's just one of those interesting things for a modern audience. And even as when the actors are rolling their eyes, like, do we have to say all this stuff? Then you're like, well, it's, it, this probably doesn't really work as well for our time yeah. period, the way it's written. So, yeah, I think there's an interesting balancing act that uh, you can find there in terms of monologuing and in a way that people could connect to. Yeah. Now, I do think, and we've we've danced around it, but I think one benefit, especially with modern art, that monologue has is done right, it has a lot of emotion to it. Yes. Which is people, you know, especially in the visual mediums, mm-hmm. it's something people are like. And you get, you get good monologue with a good actor, and it's gold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some of the best actors from... Lost, just because I wanted to pull an example from earlier. Like, like um, everyone? <laughs> everyone. Uh, Terry. Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. Oh, I mean, whichever character he's he's playing at the moment. Whichever version of Locke he's playing. <laughs> I just, right now I'm thinking of like him as Smokey, and he talked about um, what Locke's final thoughts were as <laughs> he was dying. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it can just really deliver that, some of those ideas with a sucker punch. Yeah. Or, I know, another good monologue. Live together, die alone. Um, no. Jack, when he's... Here's a case of a character talking about something that happened to him. His story, the very first episode, when he tells Kate about being afraid. Oh, and counting to five. Yeah, counting to yeah. five. And, and, and that's actually very effective. That's, that's, that's just a use of monologue as a as an introduction. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, like, we need to get to know these guys. Yeah. And a quick story, super personal story, and it helps. It, and it uh, establishes that connection with Jack and Kate really mm-hmm. well. I mean, they could have showed us that scene themselves. Well, maybe not with the angel, with the nerves falling out like angel hair pasta. No, not, yeah. You probably couldn't see that. See, it stuck with you. You can even quote it. That's yeah, great. I know. Him telling her that vulnerable story, Kate winds up relying on that counting to five thing a couple because mm-hmm. she comes across some pretty freaky things on the island. Man, that pilot. Yeah. You know, that she comes back to that story. That comes up a couple times mm-hmm. later on in the show. Yeah, it's it's just a nice moment of vulnerability. It gives us insight into who Jack is mm-hmm. and gives Kate insight into who Jack is and how why she trusts him so yeah. much. I think that the most popular monologue in visual media really is the the backstory, the probably the the so emotional thing that happened to me that now we're in this tender moment we're going to share with each other. It's probably the one that's endured the most, probably because of our postmodern like everything is motivated by our past society. Yeah, and, and it's emotional. I mean, it, and, it, it's, it, emotional. it's a very good way to cram a lot of emotion to one one scene. Yeah, I do think it would be neat to see more of the the Babylon Five monologues as philosophical explorations. Mm-hmm. One problem with a lot of mass media is that it doesn't try to say anything super deep. Yeah. Because then, like, once you try to, we said, we've complained about this before, you know, a lot of people, if, they get afraid of it, you know, because if we w- try to establish a certain 
perspective, then you're going to alienate anyone who doesn't hold that perspective. And yeah. So we stick with. Well, then at least you can agree. You're dis- at least you're discussing ideas. Then yeah, you know, I mean, like that's, that would be the better thing. Uh, most times, like ways. yes, I agree that friendship is good and lying to your friends is bad. I mean, <laughs> duh. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But side tangent. <laughs> Well, anything else that you want to say voluminously about Volum- monologues here? <laughs> um, use them. They are fun. No, actually, I think I'm a character writer. Even from early on, I, you know, when I first was starting writing in high school and stuff, characters rambling was kind of how I got started with humorous ramblings, you know. Mm-hmm. Fred in early versions was, he was just my character for all my, like I had, you had to write a paragraph with all the spelling words in and he'd just ramble and use all the spelling words sort of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. But the nice thing about it, if you're good at that is that you can create very interesting characters. And monologue forces you to, if you're doing it right, to both know your character really well and also be able to be very specific, like this angel hair pasta and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That as a writer, for a writer, it could be actually a really good practice for being just creating those little flourishes that make things feel real, at least for, for the character version. Then it's full, for the more philosophical stuff. Bonus. Bonus. I mean, that, that's a whole different beast. And as a viewer, enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> Savor them. Savor them. Hopefully people who listen to our podcasts, I think they could probably appreciate a good monologue. I think we've gotten past the point where we're like, oh, why won't they stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, occasionally you will have the character that just won't shut up. Yeah. But, uh, and that's probably not a good thing. No. But it's sometimes funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes on purpose, but. Yeah. yeah you, can have, you can have some very verbose characters. Like, like uh, Polonius from um, Hamlet. He just kind of rattles off all these cliches and everything, and he's like, and then he ends up with like, and brevity is a soul of wit after he like rambled for all this time. <laughs> yes, that that could be a good source of humor too. So, or uh, Anne Anne and Green Gables. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she probably has some really good monologues, actually. Yeah, I, I'm not really thought of in monologue terms, but, but yeah, in, in books you don't as often. Yeah, but yeah. Anyways, that's all I got. So that's that's all we got. Hope you enjoyed our long speech about that. It, it wasn't a monologue because there's two of us, but... I think we were kind of holding back some of our examples because of our second half here. Oh, that's entirely possible. So we better move on and go into soundtrack. Okay, so I had to look up uh, video game monologues to try to find something here. I was trying to look them up too because I know th- I know Xenogear has to have some. I'm sure they graph. And- <laughs> I'm sure they do. I was reminded of Portal Two, which I've not played much of, but I do know that one thing in Portal Two is you sometimes hear voiceovers from. So in Portal Two, you're exploring the ruins of Aperture Science mm-hmm. Laboratories. There's some in-story thing about what happened there and, you know, why it's why it's basically a dump now. But every now and then you hear these voice recordings from the old president of Aperture Science, who is voiced by J.K. Simmons. Okay. A.K.A. J. Jonah Jameson. Okay. From the Spider-Man movies. And uh, he's just as comedically ridiculous as you could want. At one point, apparently, he does this speech about, they say when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Well, I say when life gives you lemons, you throw them back and say, what the heck am I supposed to do with these (laughs) darn lemons? And he goes on this long rant about uh, about life not giving you what you want. Anyway, so that's what inspired me to pick a remix from Portal 2. This is called Motion Sickness. There's actually a remix on OC Remix that included sound bites from that rant, and I really wanted to use it, but it was too long. So, but this one, this is a cool song to remix by. Uh, I'm not sure what language oh, got, this is. You got my my sort of remixer. Yeah, um, I apologize. I don't know what language your name is from, so I will just give it my best go. It is remixed by Aino Keskitalo. No, Keskitalo. Keskitalo. We'll go with that. I know Cascatalo. Sorry if that's horribly wrong, Mr. Cascatato. Whoever you are, I like your remix, and I hope you folks enjoy it too.
And we're back. Hello. I, you know, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was a fun find. I'm glad uh, I'm glad we got to use something from Portal 2 here. Okay, so for the second half today, we are bringing in a new segment. A new segment, which we kind of use once, but we're making a new segment. That's right. And this new segment is called Challenge Accepted. This will be kind of a game-themed segment where we challenge ourselves. So the last time we did something like this, we did that one Christmas episode. I think it was December 2017. Yes, I believe so. And we were busy making um, pitches for a family movie Christmas specials. Yes. So so we've done these little gamey things, but we thought, you know what? We might as well have a, an actual segment name for this sort of thing. Um, so this time what we did is Nick and I have both... Uh, sought out some monologue. Which was harder than I thought, or I made it hard. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I felt this was fun, but... Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I just, for some reason, I kept thinking I had ideas, and then I, they never turned out quite like I th- remembered them. I went with a very our very loose definition of monologue. And mine was, pro- mine was probably a little stricter, so I went for, like, lengthy-ish Lengthy things. ones, yeah. So some, some of mine are shorter well, than, that's fine. than others. Um, but balance. anyway, so we've picked out monologues from various stories, some books, some TV. I got a couple movies. I got a couple movies, some books. So we're going to take turns reading them and see if the other person can name that monologue. And I think, at least mine, sometimes I've uh, changed or eliminated the names to protect the innocent. Same here. If it, it was going to be if the name or cut a little way, tiny obvious. line, if I need, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was allowed. Only thing we didn't we said is like the other person should have at least some awareness. Some, of it. yeah, in theory, yeah, yeah. not don't uh, pull some obscure Henry the Sixth Shakespeare monologue. Oh, uh, I got to get rid of two of my monologues. <laughs> I mean, Shakespeare is fine, but that's one of the that's more obscure. obscure. Yeah. So, yeah. we'll go there. So, you want to start us Well, off? I thought you had more, so I thought you should start us. Okay. Well, I mean, since if we are uneven. Okay. Well, I have this in kind of an order that might go from easier to harder, yeah. but well, who knows? Yeah, I, mo- I would test some of these on my wife the other day, and if she got them right away, I thought I'll put them on the easy ones. Okay. And so, I'm not going. At least for me, I'm not going to try to read them in the manner. No, probably not. I mean, for, in some ways, I might give it away. Yeah, know? exactly. And uh, we'll see. I might. I might have. I might have. Plus, uh, an actor. Got like to try are. to get a little tricky here. So, Ooh. anyway, so we'll we'll see if you know this first one. Okay. You still don't understand. This isn't about bombs and guns and knives. This isn't physical combat. We live in a different kind of world. This isn't about killing people. It's about owning them. You sell people things they need. The nuns sell pe- things people enjoy. The corporation isn't like that. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, I know that one. <laughs> I want to say Incredibles 2, but it sounds... God, bombs nope. and guns. <laughs> I'm, being really, I'm being really sneaky with this first one. You want me to say it again? Just one more time, one more time. I oh. should know that I... Like, yeah, it's tickling some brain cells. It, it's tickling brain cells, and the audience out there is like, "Come on, guy, get it." <laughs> I'm not sure. Some of the audience may, but this, okay. might, this is more obscure. But it shouldn't be obscure for you. Okay. You still don't understand. This isn't about bombs and guns and knives. This isn't physical combat. We live in a different kind of world. This isn't about killing people. It's about owning them. You sell people things they need. The nuns sell things people enjoy. The corporation isn't like that. <laughs> Is this something I wrote? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Buckethead? Nope. <laughs> he's a he's a corporate guy. How would I have rented that head that? <laughs> Probably something from Story Project. Everything's monologue in that thing. See, and this is where I pick something that you probably would not have pegged as monologue. Yeah, well, that's because it's probably not long enough. Well, it sound it sound like one. That's fine. Sound like Stuart Lim War Hero. That's it. All right, <laughs> man. I wasn't sure how many of you were aware of that one still. It's been a long time. <laughs> that was in the Story Project, but even oh, was I, it? Yeah, okay. even though I know it's from older than that. old. Yeah, it's quite old. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I, I like a, that. I pulled the fast one on you there. Well, I'm gonna start you with an easy one. All right, go for okay. it. Okay. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. 
Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, if you're too small to understand why. But I think I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of returning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That is Samwise Gamgee. Yahoo! I'm trying to think, though. I want to say that's Return of the King. It's Two Towers. Is it Two Towers? Ah, they might have put it in Return of the King in the movies. Uh, it might be in Two Towers, actually. Actually, I think it is. Okay. I think that's one. But they do it in a place that's not actually in the book. Okay. It's, it's when they go to Osgiliath. Okay. So that's why I was like, I'm not sure. I know that's they took that from that. But I had book. to get a Tolkien in there because. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a good speech. It is a good speech. Okay. So, uh, again, this is one that I, I changed. Yeah. I, I took out the something but anyway you'll you you might get this i should like to save this place if i could though there have been times when i thought the inhabitants too stupid and dull for for words and i have half felt an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them but i don't feel like that now i feel that as long as this place lies behind safe and comfortable i shall find wandering more bearable i shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold even if my feet cannot stand there again in the beginning, it felt like it was like with the monopod guys from Dawn Trader, but then as it changed, I don't think it was <laughs> because of the, the, the stupid inhabitants. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's it's okay, not Dawn Trader. I I I can't. <laughs> no, you should. I know I should know it. You want me to read it one more? Yeah, time? one more time. Yeah. Okay. okay. Here we go. I should like to save this place if I could, though there have been times when I thought the inhabitants too stupid and dull for words. And I felt an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them. But I don't feel like that now. I feel that as long as this place lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. I should know that's... I mean, it almost sounds like Bilbo talking. But yeah, I, I should know that small. somewhere there is a firm foothold. Even my feet cannot stand there, there again. I don't know. Is it Tolkien? It is Tolkien. Okay, so it's either Frodo or Bilbo. It's Frodo. Okay, from... so it's in Return of the King then. Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship. Okay, it's I thought maybe it was leaving West. No, it's it's actually from. Um, no, it's talking about when he's leaving the first time. Leaving the first okay. time. Okay. Which I, when I was reading that this time, I was like, "There's a lot of foreshadowing in here." No kidding. But yeah, I, I mean, you could quote that at the end to Return of the King almost and be. It's in some ways, yeah. Well, I I wanted to pull something from the the coming of shadows chapter yeah the chapter two just because there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of great info dialogues, yeah yeah great dialogue in there but I also very specifically picked out a section that was not quoted in the movie because mm-hmm. what you said that was I know that was quoted it's yeah. a very big deal but I was I was curious if there was enough information there which no there, yeah there was ones get ones get going it's interesting mm-hmm. all right your turn all right let's see which one of these I'm gonna do I'll do the other one Natasha that was kind of easy okay. Just a minute, just a minute. Now hold on. You're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why you ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I never know. But neither you nor anyone else can say anything against his character because his whole life was. Why, in, in the 25 years since he and Bob started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right? I could go on and on. But. George Bailey, It's yes. a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I just, I just like, I had to get Wonderful Life in there. <laughs> that's a nice, that's a nice uh, rant. Okay. I don't expect you to get the actual... Name of the story here. Okay. Let's see if you can get the, okay. char- get the character. Well, I'm, I'm batting not great, so we'll see what <laughs> we can do here. So, all right. Criminal cases are continually hinging upon that one point. A man is suspected of a crime months perhaps after it has been committed. His linen or clothes are examined and brownish stains discovered upon them. Are they blood stains or mud stains or rust stains or fruit stains? Or what are they? That is a question which has puzzled many an expert. And why? Because there was no reliable test. Now we have this test, and there will no longer be any difficulty. Hmm. Seems like a Sherlock Holmes. It is Sherlock Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't be able to tell which one, but it sounds very Sherlock. Yeah. That was. He knows. He knows that he's studied all these different styles. That's what I was going for, and that's that's from a study in Scarlet. So basically, his introductory scene, the very first scene of Sherlock Holmes, and he's telling Watson about this great new thing that he came up with. So, I mean, and that's, that's a nice character kind of revelation yeah, moment, I thought. I like that. Okay, this one. Well, I like this one. Okay. Okay. Ah, uh, and when this war is over, when, when you have the homeland free from humans, what do you think it's going to be like? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you given it any consideration? Because you're very close to getting what you want. What's it going to be like? Paint me a picture. Are you going to live in houses? 
Do you want to go to work? Will it be holidays? Oh, will there be music? Do you think people will be allowed to play violins? Who will make the violins? Well, oh, you don't actually know, do you? Because just like every other tantruming child in history, you don't actually know what you want. So let me ask you a question about this brave new world of yours. When you've killed all the bad guys and it's all perfect and just and fair, when you finally get what it got exactly the way you want it, what are you going to do with people like you, the troublemakers? How are you going to protect your glorious revolution from the next one? That's a great speech. It is a great speech. I'm a little torn here. Um, my first guess is Doctor Who. It is a Doctor Who. Okay. I'd be really impressed if you can manage where it's from. What episode, though? Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to try to figure out the Doctor first. Uh, David Tennant. No. Oh no! <laughs> you got it now. Oh, I think I do. This is um, the twelfth Doctor. Is it the twelfth Doctor? Twelfth. Is that the I Peter don't Cabaldi? Know. Yes. Okay, Peter Cabaldi. This is the. He's stopping the Centaurans and the Earth from destroying each other, I think. Oh, uh, the Zygons, but yeah. Oh, the Zygons. Yep. That's right. Just... He had that, like, giant monologue. It yeah, was partly this, and there's yeah. some other ones. And Good pull. I like that. That's, that's a great one. That was, I was thinking, like, and I remember that. It was, like, eight minutes of him basically just trying to stop him from going to war. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I got a fine part of that. Nice. Nice. So. I've been doing all fiction books here so far, or written stuff, so I'm, let's go to... Well, I probably shouldn't tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, let's try this one. Some plots are moved forward by external events and crises. Others are moved forward by the characters themselves. If I go through that door, the plot continues. The story of me through the door. If I stay here, the plot can't move forward. The story ends. Also, if I stay here, I'm late. Uh, it seems like the sort of thing. I can't remember that exact line. It seems like the sort of thing would be in... Um... Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. Okay. Nice job. I'm like, all I could think was Will Ferrell, and I'm like... <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's, uh, yeah, Professor... That, that the Professor? That's the Professor, Jules Hilbert, which, again, I, I looked some of these up on IMDb. Oh, yeah, I look... Yeah, most of mine, I'm like, I, I had the idea, but I'm like, I kept thinking there's a monologue in Castle Cogliostro when he's talking to the princess about... Oh, but sure. I couldn't, I couldn't find the right... I, I didn't have time to go and transcribe it from... <laughs> from the actual the movie. Act movie. Nice. All okay, right. so I've, I've I've forgotten to keep track of score here. I think you've I've I've managed two of two with of some, them. with some hinty things, <laughs> and you've gotten all three, three, three because yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'm like one ahead, one ahead, one ahead. All right, sorry. Here, okay, here's number four. Okay, from you. What a sad thing you are, unable to answer even such a simple question without falling back on references and genealogies and what other people can call you. Have you nothing of your own? Nothing to stand on that is not provided, defined, delineated, stamped, sanctioned, numbered, and approved by others? How can you be expected to fight for someone else when you haven't the fairest idea of who you are? Do you know how many have stood before me as you stand now, proud, defiant, full of their own bloated self-importance, confident that they are chosen, special, favored of God? All of them have broken. All of them have broken. And better for everyone that they have. Better to spare others the illusion of false hope. You have the audacity to presume that you are on a mission from God, embarked upon a holy cause. I don't believe it. By the time you leave here, neither will you. Okay, it took me about halfway through that to, to pick it out, but that was the Inquisitor from Babylon yeah. 5. Oh, man, I love that. I love that speech. I am like, I got to go get that speech. Here comes the Inquisitor, or not here comes. It comes the Inquisitor. <laughs> here comes the Inquisitor. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's, no, it's not. So, yeah. Nice. It was either that or something from Intersection in Real Time I was looking for. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of, of course. course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this was a fun one to pick out. This is a little longer one. He says that these animals learned to do many difficult things, except those who could not. And those died and the other animals did not pity them. And he says the best animal now is the kind of man who makes the big huts and carries the big weights or carries the heavy weights and does all the other things I told you about. And he is one of these, and he says that if the others all knew what he was doing, they would be pleased. He says that if he could kill you all and bring our people to live here, then they might be able to go on living here after something had gone wrong with our world. And then if something went wrong with this world, they might go and kill all in another world, and then another, and so they would never die out. All right. Um, that was not going where I expected it to. It would be the first little bit again. He says that these animals learned to do many difficult things, except those who could not. And those died and the other animals did not pity them. 
And he says the best animal now is the kind of man who makes the big huts and carries the heavy weights and does all the other things I told okay. you about. Okay. Is that good enough? No, that's all I needed, but it doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried, because you tried to talk about animals and then it rephrased it as it obviously was aliens and stuff. I'm a complete loss for that one. I know soon you tell me I'd be like, but I'm not, I, I don't know. Okay. You, you don't have any guess at I all? I don't have any guess at all. Okay. I th- it, I, this was tricky because this is a character translating for another character. Well, I figured that. I just couldn't figure out in what this is who he's translating for. This is Ransom translating for Weston in Out of the Silent Planet. Oh, I would not have got that. It's been a while, but that makes that actually makes a lot of sense. It did feel that like War of the World, some sort of. Yeah. It's, no, I like that. It's because he has to translate for, for them from English to, this is his translation from English to the best what Weston is saying to the best way he could put it in the language of the people on an No, I like it. It's a good quote, a good monologue. <laughs> it's a fun scene where it's like he's saying one thing, it's like, well, this is the best I'd translate it, and it just makes it sound absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Why would anyone say this to another person? Uh, no, I don't think I have any more really, really tricky ones like that. Well, that's fine. I got <laughs> okay. I like this one. Okay, short one for me, at least. Okay, yes, it's true. I may not have a lot of experience fighting or leading or coming up with plans or having ideas in general. In fact, I'm not all that smart. And not what you'd call a creative type. Plus, generally unskilled. Also, scared and cowardly. I know what you're thinking. He's the least qualified person in the world to lead us. And you are right. (laughs) What's his name? It's from the Lego movie. It's from the Lego movie. Man, what's the... Emmett. It's Chris Pratt. Emmett. Emmett, yeah. Yeah, Emmett. Emmett. (laughs) I just love that speech. I'm like, I completely forgot about that. Like, that's hilarious. Nice. I don't know how well you know this movie. I feel like we'll deal you, with it. you probably will. But anyway, when Chekhov saw The Long Winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of this town and basking in the warmth of their hearts, uh, in the warmth of their hearths and hearts, I couldn't imagine a better face than a long and lustrous winter. This is where... Uh, a camera of my of my bewildered face would be. <laughs> Maybe I'm just p- picking two di- two obscure things. I, well, I, I was trying to think. Okay, are there things within the quote that that you can interpret? Well, n- not necessarily. I mean, I might just be really bad at re- remembering lines, <laughs> which is partly true too. Again, it's going to be like the ransom one, where I'm like, oh yeah. My approach. When he hearths, I'm like, "Oh, it's it's Christmas Carol." <laughs> I mean, see, I, and I think maybe the way I went about this was maybe a little bit differently. You definitely picked out good like monologues you thought of. I went from like, "Okay, what's a good, what's a story I want to pull from?" And then I went, ah, "There's just two different ways to do and it." And then yeah. just found found a monologue to pull. Out mean, of it. It, what what does great though? It gives a lot of different examples of what we were talking about. That's true. These are all very. These are good. all wildly different from yeah. each other, and they all accomplish. What they want, which is like mm-hmm. a distinct moment or idea, or yeah. Um, no, okay. I don't know. This is from Groundhog Day. I have not seen that for years, honestly. Okay. Yeah, I, I would not. You didn't even know. Okay. I know some people. I mean, I've seen it, but it's been a very long yeah, time. I think this is from like after he's been going through the day for several times. Okay, and this is his weather report, and it's probably this very philosophical thing because yeah. he's you know been enlightened or something. I got one more. And then got my giant, long, obscure one. <laughs> okay. Let's do, your, have to do. let's do your normal one first. Okay. And this one, okay, this is, I mean, either you'll get it right away or you won't at all. It's one of these that people know it. Or don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Son, we live in a world that has walls. And those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. And keep going. Do you know it or not? Oh, I do. I do. Okay. Uh, it's a few good men. Yeah. Oh, man. I Jack love Nicholson. Movie. Again, it's one of those that... I, I could not put on here. <laughs> Is that one that we ke- we talk about really? We don't bring up and and uh, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkinson. That often. I, well, no, I was talking to Tasha. You know any, any um, monologues you use? She's like anything from West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's like the king of monologues too. I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. But what's so great about that one? Besides, it's just I mean, it goes on. It's super well written. Mm-hmm. Is and super memorable. 
is that it is the 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 climax of of the movie of everything yeah of all the stuff and it it's a super great, effective yeah it's a great scene okay here's let's go with this one next there is a greater darkness than the one we fight it is the darkness of the soul that has lost its way the war we fight is not against powers and principalities it is against chaos and despair greater than the death of flesh is the death of hope the death of dreams against this peril we can never surrender the future is all around us, waiting in moments of transition, to be born in moments of revelation. No one knows the shape of the future or where it will take us. We know only that it is always born in pain. Oh, that, the end. You know, the, it's funny because the beginning sounded a little bit like Wrinkle in Time. Hmm. But by the end, I'm pretty sure it's Jakar. That is Jakar <laughs> from Babylon 5. <laughs> Who does great monologues. In case you haven't been listening to the Weekly Hijack, we talk about Babylon 5 a lot. A lot. <laughs> Man, I always put the one where he went after he has surrender, Narn, and he talks about oh, freedom. Oh, that's a great speech, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this one's stuck in my mind for... This was one of the first ones I decided I wanted yeah. to include in this game. So. I, I, I have a bonus one here that I picked just for you, Tim. Okay, lay it on me. I mean, you'll know it, but it, it was picked for you. Sure. So, okay. Modern man has lost his imagination. If a modern man <laughs> if a modern man sails across the sea, he knows what land he will come to. But as the sailboat departed slowly from the pier, I could not think as a modern man. The stars were bright above the white sails and gentle waves. No, when a ship sails from a dark celestial shore, he does not land in Europe or China. He ends in a new world in lands yet undiscovered. You can point the sailboat out to me as it sits by the pier this morning. I will not believe you. I see the ship sailing to the unknown horizon, to fairyland, where men have adventures forever. And Jonathan is there, where every story is true. Though I am happy for him, I am irrationally happy. More than anything, I ache. I ache because I want to be there, too. Oh, man. <laughs> That's still one of the best things you've ever wrote. <laughs> you've ever written, I guess. I really enjoy it, too. Yeah. <sighs> I, th- I think it's the first time you made me cry when I was reading something of yours. <laughs> Woo! I've done it for everyone now! <laughs> I think I officially made all my family cry with something I've written. So... <laughs> Uh, so that, anyways, if you don't know, that's from the Story Project. The Story Project, and it was—I think I loved it so much, partly because it was a send-off for one of the characters I created. Yeah, and it was just—it was just so perfect, and it so encapsulated a lot of what was important to me at the time when I created that. I mean, it's still important. I mean, but it, it's kind of—it's one of these things you look back. It's like this was sort of the foundation of mm-hmm. these ideas, and and you just capture it better than I could have and, at that and time. And I think that 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 is an example of like a, a monologue that's monologues, you know, especially with the more philosophical, you do touch on the on the deep things. You know, or they have the opportunity to in a way that normal writing doesn't can't always. Yeah. Monologues yeah. can touch deep things faster in some ways. And is it, again, I wouldn't have originally pictured that as a monologue because it's it's not spoken out loud. Yeah. It's a journal entry. Yeah. But it, when you it, lift it, it, when you lift it, it sounds very appropriately monologueish. So, so, okay. Here, this one's just for fun. I don't, yeah, I yeah, that was for fun. This is one I would be able to pick out. Yeah, but I don't know that. I don't know. All oh, right, enough, I'm going. This is. I don't I, know, I'm wagering all my points on this one. I don't know that there's Jeopardy. enough actual clues in here for someone else to figure it out, but I'll do it anyway. All right. Shame on you. I thought we were in this thing together. I'm just as scared as you are, but this this has to be done. We don't want the bad guys to win. We got to do this for, for, for justice, for freedom, for honesty. Phoenix and Ferb. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, it's too generic, yeah. but in the right voice, it, it's, it's fun. This is Fozzie Bear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can completely hear it as soon as you said that. Like, yes. From, you know what movie? I can't. I couldn't tell you. Which it's one the one. Great Muppet Caper. Okay. So, but you, you knew the scene I was talking about as soon as. It, like they're, is that, they're is that getting when ready. they go back to get the baseball diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember as a kid, I didn't even catch that joke for ages. I know exactly. <laughs> I, same here. Uh, wonderful stuff. Do you want my long obscure one? Or are we out of time? Give it to me. All right. You might. There is a possibility you can guess it, but I had to copy it because I was not going to write it out. I probably won't read all of it. But all right, here we go. The picture represented Christ just taken down from the cross. I believe that the painters usually have a way of depicting Christ either on the cross or being taken down from the cross with a trace of extraordinary beauty still in his face. They strive to preserve this beauty in him even during his most dreadful agonies. In this painting, there was no beauty. 
It was a faithful representation of a corpse of a man who had borne infinite agony but even before crucifixion, who had been wounded, tortured, beaten by guards, beaten by the people when he carried the cross and fell beneath its weight, and who finally had suffered the agony of crucifixion lasting for six hours by my calculation at least. It is true this is the face of a man who has just been taken down from the cross, that is, a face that has retained some retains much warmth in life. Not, nothing is rigid in it yet, and the suffering seems to continue in the face of the dead man as if it were still feeling it. The artist has caught this very well. On the other hand, the face has not been spared in the least. It is no more than nature itself, and the corpse of any man, whoever he may be, must really look like after such suffering. I know that the Christian church has laid down, even in its early centuries, that Christ did not suffer symbolically, but in fact, and that therefore the, his body on the cross was fully subject to the laws of nature. In the painting, his face is dreadfully disfigured by blows, swollen, covered with terrible, swollen, bloody bruises. The eyes open, the pupils turned up, the white, open whites of his eyes, bright with a sort of deathly, vitreous gleam. But strangers say, when one looks at the corpse of this tortured man, a certain curious question rises. It was just such a corpse, and must certainly have been like this was seen by his disciples, by those who were to become the, his chief apostles, by the woman who had followed him and stood at the foot of the cross, by all who had believed in him and adored him. How good they believe, gazing on such a cadaver as that, that this martyr would be resurrected. Here one cannot help but think that if death is so terrible and the laws of nature so powerful, how can they be overcome? And then it keeps going and going. And it's, I love it. I, do you, I, you have one hint, I know, to remember it. Um, I know I've heard this before. I don't remember if I read that at some point or if you quoted it somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, I quoted it somewhere else. That's why you might possibly. Possibly. Is it a Dostoyevsky? It is a Dostoyevsky. Okay. Brothers Karamazov? No. Um, the Idiot? The Idiot. Okay. And it actually goes on and gets even better, but it's it's a giant paragraph. I've, I've bookmarked it when I read it, and I keep coming back to it because it's, hmm. in context, fascinating. It's an interesting one, even in context. Yeah, and maybe would intrigue people about who's talking yeah. and why. You should go read the idiot, which is <laughs> actually don't read the edit first. It is the hardest, most Russian of his novels, I think. Hmm. Crime it- Punishment feels more Western. The idiot is very Russian. Okay, like if it's about saving Russia, I mean, it just it just feels more foreign than the than some of the other ones do. Okay. You should read it. So you think crime, would, crime and Punishment is the easiest one? Yeah, for Crime and Punishment is the easiest one for people to get into. Okay. And probably Brother Karazimov after that. Okay. Yeah. Which one is your favorite? I don't know. I like, I, I like to reread them all now. It's been so long, but they were all very, very good. Okay. But anyways. That's a cheap and, answer, but okay. Yeah. And <laughs> The Possessed is very good. Him ranting against communism 60 years before the communist revolution. Oh, but, if only people listen. Oh, Dostoevsky. Read him. He's great. Anyways, so those were. Do you have any more? No, that's that's enough for tonight. Those were, those were a very nice variety. Uh, yeah, we we did covered a, a broad spectrum, I think, of and different types, not just like different venues, but like nothing wrong with a long uh, speech of sort. And some of those, like I said, were some of them were of mine were only like four lines, so I don't yeah. know how well some people would consider those the, monologues. You can't see it, guys, but the Dostoevsky is basically two full pages. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's that's a, a serious monologue. I think one of the reasons I chose the Jakar one is because in context, that's, I guess I, I don't know what who Jakar is even addressing. Is he right? I that, think he's writing in his book. Is he writing in his book yeah, So it's just to himself. Yeah. yeah, probably. But I mean, it works as a voiceover. It works nice yeah. as a transition. And we had some funny ones. We had some serious ones, some, some character ones. Mm-hmm. So, did we really have a plot one? Not really. You mean like when we did some exposition? Like exposition? Not or, as much, I guess. Not super much. The one I came across that I I didn't read, but I was the one. From, everyone loves the one from Jaws. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess the one I I took from Stuart Lim War Hero is sort of exposition. Kind of yeah. It's all thematic-y though. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my monologues tend to be thematic-y. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, if name. a monologue can accomplish two things at once. That's even better. Yeah, exactly. It feels nice to actually get to include some monologues in, the, in an episode it, yeah, about them. Exactly. And, and you get a variety of the sort of things we're reading or have read or, <laughs> or enjoy. Ha- or yes, exactly. <laughs> that wraps up our first official challenge accepted. And the winner, Tim, is... Me! Yay! Yay! I... I, I Stop keeping track, to yeah. be honest. But <laughs> but we need a winner if it's challenge accepted. I guess so. So make it official. Yes. Anyways, it's time to wrap this one up. All right. So um, luckily, 
nothing strange happened yet. So far. So far. Yeah, you never know. Well, there was a salesman coming. I don't know if we want to... No, let's not talk to him. Okay. Well, okay. whatever you say. Okay. Um, but before uh, before we take off, we should let you know that Derailed Trains of Thought is available at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook. And um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And Stitcher, thing still, probably? Stitcher, I believe. Anywhere you can get podcasts, reputably. Well, hopefully. I hear you can get podcasts on Spotify now. Oh, we should add it to Spotify. That's a good idea. So that's something to put I on our to-do list. Yeah. Yes. Listen to our our um, sidetrack, our weekly hijack, where we talk. Um, we're going through Balan Five with a newbie. That's our spinoff can, podcast. Yeah, really. If if we haven't wed your, we we both quoted Balan Five. Yes, for, because there's <laughs> just we, so many great monologues. Oh yeah, so much great language and writing in, in that show. So if you have not seen it, I don't know what you're waiting on. It's on for, Amazon Prime now. Yes, I mean obviously that's the best reason to get Amazon Prime. The, the only reason. The only reason. Maybe free shipping. Well, okay. But, but okay <laughs> with that uh, what is your soundtrack Nick? my soundtrack is from final fantasy 10 2 because it made a sequel to it and it just right. i don't know if you say 10 2 or x2 x2 i, th- or... I think most people do say 10 2 even though it sounds more like a trucker lingo <laughs> the title of it is so it goes it's remixed by kabuki bear i it's a solo piano be a figure of monologue basically a single voice talking so i got went with a solo Okay. And we haven't done a Final Fantasy X-2. We've done 10, not We've done 10. 10. We've done, what, like 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12. <laughs> I think this is our first sequel Final Fantasy game, okay. technically. We need to make sure we get... Do we have 5 yet? We need to get 5 in there. I think so. Oh, okay. good, look good, good. We need to get all of them. We need to get some <laughs> 13, even though no one likes 13, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I don't know we've done either of the um, MMOs yet, either. There are remixes for that. Are those okay? Mm-hmm. So eleven or fourteen? Yeah, sometimes. You, you did fifteen one time. I you did, did fifteen Thomas. one time. Yeah. It wasn't for OC remix, but I did do it fifteen. So. Okay. Anyways, so this uh, is a fun piano piece. So okay, until so then, um, we will find a way out of this interesting place uh, in time, in space. Yes. So. Hey, thank you for listening. This is Tim. This is Nick. Bye bye.